These are people who have attacked, stormed the U.S. Capitol building, uh, carrying Trump flags, uh, wearing MAGA gear. Uh, these are Trump supporters. It is just chaos around the House chamber, that there has been glass that's been broken, the doors have been barricaded, and that some members have been evacuated, and that some who are in place are now praying. Everybody, stay down, stay down, shouts a member of Congress inside the hallowed halls of our United States Congress. And that's not a shower cap. This election were overturned by mere allegations from the losing side. Our democracy would enter a death spiral. We'd never see the whole nation accept an election again. Every four years would be a scramble for power at any cost. It's not protest, it's insurrection. And here we go. From Chicago, this is a special edition of the Jay Doherty Podcast. The Jay Doherty Podcast, TJDP. The Jay Doherty Podcast, episode number 142, Rhinos and Dinos. Today. Trump-supporting terrorists have attempted to overtake the U.S. Capitol in pursuit of unfounded claims that the election was stolen from them. And worse, as of January 6th, Trump still has not conceded or claimed responsibility for their assembly. A look at what is happening, and how thankfully Republicans are at least verbally breaking from the man that ruined their party, and calling this coup out for what it is, is next. In other and seemingly less important news, the Democrats' biggest problem is not the Republicans, and the Republicans' biggest problem is not the Democrats. The biggest problem for the Democrat establishment is the super progressives in their own party, and the biggest problem for logical Republicans is Trump's voter fraud nonsense. The division of the Republican Party, as with all parties leaving the executive branch, was inevitable. But it's happening a lot sooner than I had predicted. A look at why that may be, including my thoughts about Mitch McConnell's divisive refusal to increase stimulus payments, President Trump's childish phone call with Georgia's Secretary of State, and Nancy Pelosi's predictable re-election is next. Welcome, everyone. This is the Jay Rorty Podcast, episode number 142, uh, Wednesday, January 6th, 2021. Thank you very much for being here. Wow, there is a lot of news to talk about, and this is a special edition of the Jay Doherty Podcast. Uh, we're coming and we're doing this episode all because of what has transpired at the United States Capitol. Uh, but I also have some thoughts that I wrote out before all of this stuff happened, which is a really, it's just a... Sad thing for America, sad thing for uh, everyone really involved. It's mutually destructive for everyone. Um, and we're going to talk about all of that and more in one second. But before we do, as we do with all episodes, we're going to begin with the quote of the day, which is a quote that has some mild relation to this episode. Doesn't mean that I agree with it. Uh, however, this one I do. This one's from Christopher Paolini. He's an author of a series of books within... The Inheritance Cycle, it's a series of young adult books, which I highly recommend. The quote of the day is, moderation is a wiser policy than zealotry. Not all quote of the, dates I, uh, quote of the days I agree with, but that one particularly I do. Uh, because I do think that moderate, okay, like I, I personally, my philosophy about the difference between moderation and radicalism is uh, the famous quote, of course, uh, everything in moderation, including moderation. It should be a strategy, uh, and that's that really is an all-encompassing sort of philosophy to live one's life, in my opinion. I think 
throughout history, it is undeniable that uh, radical or like huge problems that are huge, very specific problems often call for specific radical solutions. But throwing just the term of radicalism at an entire agenda on something like the economy or politics or just an agenda based on being radically different from the moderates completely like with that as the primary center point of polit- of your own personal politics is not smart which is why I uh, use this quote and it'll become clear why I did this quote but before we even get into uh, what has happened I think a lot of people forgot that it was actually the new year it's 2021 it's Wednesday January 6th 2021, actually, I think I forgot to uh, mention that. I think I said 2020 out of habit in my intro, so I apologize. I revoked the date. Uh, It is January 6, 2021, not 2020. Uh, And uh, yeah, so uh, I went deep down into into my jingle collection, and I found an acapella from Jam, uh, Christmas Pack Cut 1 from 80s Hit Machine. And it has a Happy New Year acapella. Here is what it sounds like. Happy New Year. So, uh, yeah. Happy New Year for my jingle collection. Okay, that was probably the only light moment in the entire episode today. <laughs> uh, because there were terrorists at the Capitol today. Imagine being such a spoiled brat that you become responsible for terrorists attempting to overthrow the United States government. All because you're an egotistical sore loser who can't accept reality. Now, I typically ask you that just to test your imagination, but unfortunately, I'm asking you that because it's exactly what the President of the United States is doing right now. According to the fine Washington Post, a day that began with thousands of President Trump supporters in Washington for demonstrations turned violent, as many in attendance saw Wednesday as a last stand for Trump because Congress was set to confirm that President-elect Joe Biden won the election. Trump, who lost the popular vote and electoral college vote, continues to dispute the election results without evidence and has encouraged his supporters to attend the rallies. He took the stage about noon to roaring crowds, falsely claiming that he had won the election. And he did that indeed. He actually said that we're never going to concede. That's what he said at his rally, the day that they they were going to vote to certify Biden officially as the president-elect. Trump said this. All of us here today do not want to see our election victory stolen by emboldened radical left Democrats, which is what they're doing, and stolen by the fake news media. That's what they've done and what they're doing. We will never give up. We will never concede. It doesn't happen. You don't concede when there's theft involved. You don't concede when there's theft. Well, there wasn't theft. There simply wasn't. I mean, seriously, being an, there's no evidence of it. And, and I, I've said this literally from the beginning. I have said that the president, technically speaking, is 100% within his legal right to question the election results, to challenge them in a court of law. But when dozens and dozens and dozens, case after case after case, is thrown out for lack of evidence, when courts don't want to hear anything to do with you because you're make, you're, you're, you have no evidence to support your arguments, when Congress doesn't want to have anything to do with you, when the Republican Party abandons you, when you ruin the Republican Party and your supporters stand by, how can a supporter of anyone go out there and passionately support this man? I really don't understand it. 
According to the Washington Post, later at the U.S. Capitol, throngs of people pushed past police who were trying to block them from entering the building as lawmakers inside debated counting electoral college votes, confirming Biden's victory. There is a lot of debate, and much-needed debate, about the police handling of all this stuff. There's a lot of video that shows that the police maybe didn't try super hard to keep them back. I don't know about that. I think the police are not trained well. I think it is insane that they were able to get that far into the Capitol. They literally got almost into the Senate chambers. They went through, they, they smashed a window and climbed through the a window of the Capitol building. They, they got that far. I mean, imagine if they were, like, foreign terrorists or people who with, with I mean, who knows if they were armed, you know? I mean, it could be anyone. Like, it should be concerning to everyone that they were able to get that far into the uh, building, but nonetheless, a mob was able to breach security and successfully enter the building where one person was shot and later died. All because, and all inspired by, or all related to, Donald J. Trump. I mean, really nutty, really insane. Uh, so that's basically the the summary of the story. Um, you know that rally that I was talking about. Unfortunately, and really stupidly, the name Adolf Hitler came up at that rally. Really, the day that all this happens, Hitler's name comes up at a rally, at Trump's rally, Trump's Save America rally. That's what he deemed this. That is very dangerous language when you claim that you lost an election. Uh, Save America rally. That was Trump's whole deal. I don't know if it was this specific one, but it was called... Uh, he had a rally. Huge signs that said Save America rally. That they were big Save America rallies. And he, it was all organized specifically so there'd be protesters and rally rallying people out there. Rallying for Trump's support, claiming that he lost the election. Uh, and he's said a lot of really ridiculous things, including tweeting out a video that was in, just absolutely ridiculous. He said, be peaceful. He kept saying, be peaceful. Well, why didn't you say that before? You knew violence was inevitable, Mr. Trump. And even if you didn't know it was inevitable, then why didn't you preemptively say, be peaceful, be peaceful, be peaceful, right, Mr. Law and Order? It's absolutely nutty. Absolutely insane. Uh, and one of the most insane tweets really out of this entire day that uh, ended up getting deleted either by Twitter or by Trump. Twitter later, uh, later ended up blocking him for 12 hours. Facebook and Instagram for 24 hours for all this egregious nonsense that he's been pushing. Uh, Trump tweeted out, These are things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots. He called these people great patriots, the terrorists trying to overthrow the capital of the United States, a taxpayer-funded building, a international symbol of democracy. These people are trying to tear it down, and he calls them great patriots, who have been treated badly and unfairly for so long. Go home with love and in peace. Remember this day forever. Okay, well, yeah, we'll certainly remember this day forever because it go down in the history books as one of the worst days in American history, at least modern American history. It's certainly the worst thing I've ever witnessed in my life. 
and that's not even an exaggeration. You know, I don't really like to make those big grandiose statements generally, but it is 100% this is a horrible thing for America, and it's a horrible thing for democracy, horrible thing for other countries to see us, see America. It's just really an embarrassment. Trump is a national disgrace at this point, 100% without a doubt. I thought that before, but <laughs> this has one single day doubled my dislike for Donald J. Trump. Twitter blocked him, according to News Nation. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram said Wednesday that they will lock Donald Trump's accounts in the wake of violence at the Capitol. Trump, uh, Twitter said Trump will be locked for 12 hours, while Facebook and Instagram said the president will be blocked from posting for 24 hours. Twitter said future violations of the social media platform's rules, including its civic integrity or violent threats policies, will result in permanent suspension of the at real Donald Trump account of Donald Trump. Twitter flagged eight tweets in total for violating its policy. Facebook and Twitter removed a short video of Trump in which he urged supporters who stormed the U.S. Capitol Wednesday to go home while also repeating false accusations about the integrity of the presidential election. He kept saying that it was rigged, it was stolen, we're going to fight this, but also go home. Nutty. Absolutely insane. I, I seriously, I saw the video and I was like, oh, maybe he's going to concede. But no. Nope. I don't even know why I thought that. And the effects of this are crazy. CBS News obtained a video showing uh, what it was actually like in Congress. It's horrifying stuff. There's literally senators that you uh, are that you know that are horrifyingly sheltering in place at you know where you know where the first lady sits during the State of the Union in that little balcony. They're they're sheltering in place behind there as alarms go off. Here's the audio. And uh, there's a bunch of people running around. They don't really know what to do. There's alarms going off. And the headline is, U.S. Capitol on lockdown amid protest. Video shows members of Congress taking cover in House Gallery. That's a police officer there. Capitol police them. officer, yep. And uh, there one's wearing a gas mask. As a member of Congress, I couldn't quite make out who exactly. Uh, in this video, you see Pramila Jayapal from Washington, progressive uh, senator, or progressive representative from Washington. Giving somewhat of a speech. And uh, like the anchor said, that woman talking is uh, giving some sort of political speech. I think being recorded on Twitter or something like that. But all these people, and you can see the video. Uh, on the website, j-dory.com slash 142. They're sheltering inside a balcony as the U.S. Capitol is attacked by pro-Trumpsters. Absolutely crazy. Really, really insane. This is the worst thing to happen in America in my lifetime. Uh, and thankfully, we are seeing Republican leaders call out Trump and all these people for just being hypocritical and liars. Um... And I hope more of this, I, I, I hope more of the calling out from people who were stalwart Trump supporters uh, happens. I hope people turn their back on Trump like faster than ever.
He's sabotaging the the GOP as he leaves office. He's ruin. He's trying to ruin the Republican Party, or I don't know if he's trying to, but it's definitely having that effect. It is one hundred percent having that effect. The guy's only going to be there for thirteen days. I'm going to talk about this in a second. Why on earth are there people siding with him right now? Ted Cruz, which biggest hypocrite on the planet, by the way, uh, is siding with Donald Trump on this stuff. You want to be on that side of history? You want to be on the side of history where there's like 10% of you uh, in maybe the entire, not 10%, probably 0.005% of the entire country who uh, supports these this attempted coup of the United States government. You want to be on the side of people, the person who's, who's become indirectly responsible for that, those Republicans who are trying to object to the voter certification laws, Mitch McConnell, the House Minority Leader, now, not no longer House Majority Leader, uh, thankfully. <laughs> um, he, you know, he, he is even turning his back on Trump. So is uh, Lindsey Graham made a prediction, and I'll talk about it in a second too, uh, that Trump wouldn't be a good thing for the Republican Party, that he'd ruin it on his way out by the time that it ended. And he's absolutely right. He's absolutely ruined the Republican Party. I, I've talked to conservatives who didn't really like Trump, but they didn't really mind him because of the policy. And now they just absolutely hate him. What this has done, I mean, this is a culmination of the division that I've been talking about on this podcast for his entire administration. Not only were there attacks on the Capitol, uh, but underreported or at least underpaid attention to, there was an explosive device found at the RNC and the DNC. According to the New York Times, the device was found uh, at the RNC that was a pipe bomb that was successfully destroyed by a bomb squad, according to an official for the RNC. The package of the DNC has yet to be identified, according to a top Democrat briefed on the matter who is not authorized to speak publicly about it. The National Guard uh, for Washington and Virginia was first activated uh, Wednesday afternoon to respond to the unrest. And it's from a New York, the New York Times. You'll be able to find that uh, article and all the stuff we talk about at uh, j-story.com slash 142. So, yeah, like I said, thankfully we're seeing Republicans, uh, some of whom were strong supporters of Trump, calling Trump out for all this conspiracy, conspiratorial nonsense, the attempted coup of the government, the violence on Capitol Hill, the lack of law and order <laughs> in Trump's terms. Here's what Mitch McConnell had to say on the Senate floor when they were uh, talking about whether to certify the election results, which should be a routine, normal thing that just happens every election, as it has happened for the past, you know, 200 plus, 200, almost 300 years. But no, nope, not with Trump. Here's what uh, Mitch McConnell, for example, had to say. If this election were overturned by mere allegations from the losing side, our democracy would enter a death spiral. We'd never see the whole nation except an election again. Every four years would be a scramble for power at any cost. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Thank God that he would say that. Thank God there are Republicans out there. The majority, the overwhelming majority of the Republican Party votes to certify the election because there simply was no evidence of voter fraud. Simply wasn't. If you can find evidence, which you haven't been able to find for months... Show me it. I, I'd love to see it. Seriously, I, I want to know how they did it. There's no evidence. And they just need to give up. They're sore losers. Uh, one of the Republicans who's consistently been critical of Trump, and perhaps he's been proven right by all this, he represents Illinois' 16th district. Pretty anti-Trump. 
He uh, tweeted uh, one hour ago from now, I'm embarrassed by some of my Republican colleagues on the floor. They have defaulted to political points for fame and have failed to rise to the moment. Um, He just tweets out things that are pro-Republican, anti-Trump, which is 100% possible. And I respect people that are like that because there are, despite what some pundits on the left will say, there are some decent conservatives out there who really dislike Trump. Uh, Kinzinger tweeted out a tweet from Trump, retweeted a tweet from Trump with a comment saying cowardice. Now the tweet is not available because his Twitter account got banned. Uh, Trump's Twitter account got banned, that is. He tweeted out, uh, Kinzinger tweeted out, this is a coup attempt. A Republican tweeted out that this is a coup attempt, a coup attempt, and he was sitting there, I believe, in the uh, in the Congress. So thankfully, we're seeing Republicans rise to the occasion. Another one, no surprise, Mitt Romney, who, according to Trump, is a rhino. Uh, rhinos and dinos. That's the that was going to be the title of this episode until the terrorist attack happened. I, and yes, it is a terrorist attack. These people literally are the exact definition of terrorism. The definition of terrorism, by the way, is the unlawful use of violence and intimidation in the pursuit of political aims. Violence and intimidation, check. In the pursuit of political aims, check. That's exactly what this is. Throughout all of this, Joe Biden responded uh, to it all in a super, super weak speech. Like, you almost don't even know if he's been briefed on the matter, if he's been watching the news. If I were him, I would be saying that this is an awful attack on democracy. It strikes our values in half. It's the most divisive thing that's happened in his entire election. It's a culmination of all of his division, and it should be called out for what it is, an international disgrace, you know, in the hallmarks of democracy, in the what it what or you know, in the central location for all of democracy in the world, is being attacked and indirectly endorsed by the president of the United States. This is not only a political emergency; this is a moral emergency and a values emergency. It is a bad thing. You see conservative pundits saying that exact same thing, but Biden just said this. This was basically the toughest he got in that entire speech. It's not protest. It's insurrection. Okay. That's your that that's really the biggest discipline you're going to go that it's not protest, it's insurrection. I don't think anyone was calling that protest. Not one person was calling that protest. He needed to be way 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 more tough on Trump. Not one person that I heard on the left or the right, even the people, you know, I occasionally check the nut jobs at News Newsmax and I listen to uh super far right radio from time to time. I like to hear what they like to what they say on these sort of crazy issues and even they were calling these coup attempts. They no one thought it was a protest Joe Biden. So <laughs> I mean uh, either get a new speechwriter or just don't say stupid things. Here's uh, the basically the full part of the important part of his speech. It's not protest. It's insurrection. The world's watching. Like so many other Americans, I am genuinely shocked and saddened that our nation, so long the beacon of light and hope for democracy, has come to such a dark moment. Okay, this is all right, but then he gets into politician mode. Through war and strife. There it is. America's endured much. 
And we will endure here and we will prevail again and we'll prevail now. The work of the moment and the work of the next four years must be the restoration of democracy, of decency, honor, respect, the rule of law, just plain, simple decency, the renewal of the politics. It's about solving problems, looking out for one another, not stoking the flames of hate and chaos. As I said, America is about honor, decency, respect, tolerance. That's who we are. That's who we've always been. The certification of the Electoral College vote is supposed to be a sacred ritual, which we affirm purpose is to affirm the majesty of American democracy. But today's reminder, a painful one, that democracy is fragile. Okay, so that is a really, that, okay, so here's the thing. It's not that bad of a speech if you look at it in an isolated incident, but uh, as an isolated incident, but uh, the the uh, aggressiveness of the speech needs to correspond with the aggressiveness of the situation. If that speech was given and it was just another day in Trump land, another day in Washington, I would think, yeah, that's a pretty anti-Trump speech, but hey, it's aggressive. He's anti-Trump. On the day that Trump's supporters are literally storming the beacon of democracy for the entire world and also, uh, you know, as the world watches and they're literally traitors that are trying to terrorize the entire government... And you just go out there and say that, that is not strong enough of a response in my opinion. There are good messages in there, things that people need to hear on both sides of the aisle, absolutely. The fact that people need to go back to being decent and engage in civil discourse, absolutely, that is a good message. There's not one thing that I can dispute factually in there. But why I criticize that speech, or that part of that speech, and really the entire thing, because that was the toughest part of that speech, um, is because it's just not tough enough. He needs to, he, he should have been more artful with his words in condemning this. Uh, the world reacted to it all, too, not just Biden, uh, as but Biden did mention it. The Swedish prime, uh, News Nation had a compilation of it. Uh, we'll have a link to the website. Swedish Prime Minister said, uh, Deeply worrying developments in Washington. This is an assault on democracy. President Trump and uh, several others, uh, several members of Congress bear substantial responsibility for the developments. The democratic election process must be respected. Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, tweeted, Disgraceful scenes in US Congress. The United States stands for democracy around the world, and it is now vital that there should be a peaceful and orderly transfer of power. Absolutely. Justin Trudeau, the Canadian Prime Minister. Canadians are deeply disturbed and saddened by the attack on democracy in the United States, our closest ally and neighbor. Violence will never succeed in overruling the will of the people. Democracy in the U.S. must be upheld, and it, and it will be. The NATO Secretary General, Jen Stolenberg. Shocking scenes in Washington, D.C. The outcome of this democratic election must be respected. The President of Argentina. We express our condemnation of the serious acts of violence in the uh, affront to Congress that occurred in Washington, D.C. today. We trust that there will be a peaceful transition that respects the popular will, and we express our strongest support for President-elect Joe Biden. And remember, when you express support for someone, you express neglect for the other. 
And so when he says he expresses his support for Joe Biden, he really means that he doesn't like Trump. He doesn't want Trump to be around. He doesn't, uh, his country does not want Trump to be around. And really, uh, he's more saying essentially that uh, Trump is not the rightful winner of the election. I mean, it's simple as that. Because he's not. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Venezuela, the foreign minister of Venezuela, said Venezuela expresses its concern for the violent events that are taking place in the city of Washington, USA. It's not really a city, and it's not in Washington, USA, but that's what happens when there's a socialist country. <laughs> uh, he said that they condemn the political polarization and hopes that the American people will be open, will open a new path towards stability and social justice. And uh, the Norwegian prime minister perhaps said it best. This is an unacceptable attack on U.S. democracy. President Trump is responsible for stopping this scary images and unbelievable that this is happening in the United States. Ernest Solberg, uh, Solberg said that. She's the prime minister of Norway. Charles Michael, the European Council president, said the U.S. Congress is a temple of democracy. To witness tonight's scenes in Washington, D.C. is a shock. We trust the U.S. to ensure a peaceful transfer of power to Joe Biden. He tagged Joe Biden. It is disgraceful what happened, and it's all indirectly Trump's fault. Uh, two former presidents, well, I think a lot of presidents reacted to it, but the two former presidents, the two predecessors to Donald J. Trump reacted to it. Barack Obama reads a statement saying that history will rightly remember today's violence at the Capitol, incited by a sitting president who has continued to baselessly lie about the outcome of a lawful election as a moment of great dishonor and shame for our nation. But we'd be kidding ourselves if we treated it as a total surprise. For two months now, a political party and its accompanying, accompanying media ecosystem has too often been unwilling to tell their followers the truth that this was not a particularly close election, and that President-elect Biden will be inaugurated on January 20th. Mm, okay, so I agree with everything he said up to there, except for the part about the media, and I, I will tell you why. He says, it's a accompanying media ecosystem, so I assume he's talking about Newsmax there, but if he's trying to pull the, like, the Fox News shtick argument, Fox News has abandoned Trump. They got off, thankfully, you know, we tr I am, I've never been on the Trump bandwagon, and anyone who's on it should have gotten it off, gone, who has been on it or was on it and is no longer on it, should have gotten off a long time ago. And people who are still on it and you listen to this podcast, first of all, thank you because I appreciate you getting alternate perspectives, but please jump off the bandwagon now. It's not too late. <laughs> it's not too late. And hopefully people realize that, like, why did I support this guy? I hope they ask themselves, you know, later on in their life, if they if they can't come to that conclusion now. Like, the, the system is not that rigged against you or Donald Trump. It's just not. Just look at the facts. But when he says accompanying media ecosystem, Barack Obama, you won the elections because the media was light on you. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. Hillary, they, the media did everything for Barack Obama and Barack Obama's allies to get him in to office and same with George Bush and arguably and definitely Bill Clinton and people who are who who uh, uh, end up being associated with the corporations the media is owned and operated by <laughs> corporations and uh, their corporate money it's all corporate money that that circulates in and out of there 
Uh, and it's funny because a lot of the you know, certain ones have far left agendas that are pretty anti-corporation or anti-large consolidation of money, yet they're owned and operated literally by a corporation, some of which the biggest corporations uh, ever, like Time Warner, AT&T, owns CNN. So I think he's talking about Newsmax when he says media ecosystem. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a relevant point to point out that the media also bolstered a lot of this on the left and the right. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think he should be a little bit more specific. Anyway, he goes on to say that their fantasy narrative has spiraled further and further from reality. Couldn't agree more. And it builds upon years of sown resentments. So now we're seeing the consequences whipped up into a violent crescendo. And that's what this is. It's a, well, I, I don't know if crescendo, crescendo, crescendo seems like as if it's sort of the climax and there's going to be a falling action too. I think this is really a culmination would be uh, perhaps a synonym for or maybe even a better term for this because or at least in my opinion because a culmination suggests that this is it's been building up to, well I guess crescendo is a good word crescendo I guess and culmination are pretty uh, similar words crescendo I just feel like is a little bit more dramatic I think culmination implies that it was a little bit more expected and that it's a it's it's the uh it's at the tipping point essentially like this is at the peak so I suppose, I don't know, you get into semantics, I suppose we're both right. Barack Obama and I, we're both right. Uh, but anyway, right now, Republican leaders have a choice to make, or choice made clear in the desecrated chambers of democracy, says Barack Obama. They can continue down this road and keep stroking the raging fires, or they can choose reality and take the first steps toward extinguishing the flames. They can choose America. I've been heartened to see many members of the president's party speak up forcefully today. Their voices to the examples of, of Republican state and local election officials in states like Georgia who've refused to be intimidated and have discharged their duties honorably. Uh, sorry, their voices add to the examples of Republican state and local election officials in states like Georgia who've refused to be intimidated and have discharged their duties honorably. We need more leaders like these, says Barack Obama, which is true. Absolutely. And there are leaders, the, the substantial majority of leaders on both sides are like that, are, are, are the way that he's describing. Uh, but unfortunately, and I, like I said, the media, is a, it's all corporate. Whether it's left or right, it's corporate. No matter, like, I mean, I'm talking about major media, like stuff you see on your TV, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, Fox. Those are, those are corporate. We need more leaders like these, says Barack Obama. Right now, these days, weeks, and months ahead of President-elect, as President-elect Biden works to restore a common purpose to our politics, it's up to all of us as Americans, regardless of party, to support him in that goal. George W. Bush also had a good statement. Laura and I are watching the scenes of mayhem unfolding at the seat of our nation's government in disbelief and dismay. It is a sickening and heartbreaking sight. This is how election results are disputed in a banana republic, not our democratic republic. I'm appalled by the reckless behavior of some political leaders since the election and by the lack of respect shown today for our institutions, our traditions, and our law enforcement. This is what Joe Biden should have said. This is what Barack Obama should be saying. And George W. Bush is a Republican. <laughs> he agrees with the president more than these guys. And George Bush is stronger condemning Donald Trump than Barack Obama and Joe Biden combined? I don't understand. The violent assault on the Capitol, says George Bush, and disruption of a constitutionally mandated meeting of Congress was undertaken by people whose passions have inflamed by f uh, passions have been inflamed by falsehoods 
and false hopes. Insurrection could do grave damage to our nation and our reputation, particularly the reputation. In the United States of America, it is the fundamental responsibility of every patriotic citizen to support the rule of law. To those who are disappointed in the result of the election, our country is more important than the politics of the moment. Absolutely. Let the officials elected by the people fulfill their duties and represent our voices in peace and safety. May God continue to bless the United States of America. Okay, if Joe Biden came out and said something like that with three more paragraphs, I would have given his speech an A+. Why doesn't he go out there and say this? George Bush had a better statement than Barack Obama and Joe Biden. Barack Obama probably has a speechwriter. Joe Biden probably has a speechwriter. And I'm saying this as a socially liberal person, and George Bush is a Republican. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's insane. Just Biden defaulted to the I'm a politician, listen to me speech. Just a generic throw-it-at-the-wall speech that works for everything is very broad about the system of America's values. Bush did a hybrid where he talked about the specific issue and a specific resolution to the issue and how and advised people how to act and talked about, you know, the issues. He's a moderate person, a moderate Republican. Biden is a moderate Democrat. Why can't he have a good speech? <laughs> I really don't understand. It was weak, as Casey Neistat tweeted. Biden's speech was weak. Uh, another interesting odd prediction that's resurfaced, Lindsey Graham. There's a headline from MSNBC that says, maybe Lindsey Graham's anti-Trump prediction was right after all. Steve Bennon wrote that Senator Lindsey Graham's most notorious tweet is gaining attention anew this morning. And there's a quote from a really old article from back in, not really old, but... An article, an article way back in the day, a tweet way back in the day, May 3rd, 2016, Lindsey Graham said, if we nominate Trump, we will get destroyed, dot, 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 and we will deserve it. Well, that has manifested into reality quite inconveniently for you. I mean, that's exactly what's happened. You got destroyed, or you're getting destroyed, and you deserve it. Given the last four years, it's easy to forget that before Lindsey Graham was an embarrassing Trump sycophant, he was one of the Republican Party's fiercest Trump critics. And with this in mind, it was, uh, sorry, when Trump was elected six uh, months later, it appeared Graham's prediction was wrong. But as Trump prepares to exit the White House as a failed one-term president, the senator's forecast is suddenly looking a whole lot better. And it is indeed. If I was Lindsey Graham, and I and he's anti-Trump at this point now too, or anti-Trump, uh, you know, being the supposed rightful winner of the election, I would bring that up, or at least I'd bring that up to my Republican colleagues in the Senate behind closed doors. I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has. I'm sure he has it framed on the wall. I'm sure he framed it in his office on January on January twentieth, twenty seventeen. These Republicans except for the ones who, for whatever reason, and maybe even those ones too, if they're true hypocrites, they don't like Trump. They don't like Trump. I serious, He's done so much damage over the course of four years to the Republican Party, and like Barack Obama said, this is a crescendo, it is the breaking point, it is the culmination of all of the divisiveness in this country caused directly by Donald J. Trump. 
And overall, Trump is 99% responsible for these attacks on the U.S. And that's what they are, attacks on the U.S. The reason I say 99%, not 100, is because A, it's rare that anything in life or in the world is 100%, and B, because I believe in a uh, standard of journalism that's not really super politically motivated, <laughs> as people may have come to notice. While Trump is absolutely the cause of all of these demonstrations occurring and the substantial majority of division within this country for the past four years, without a doubt, he's not responsible for the individual actions of every single one of his protesters, whether good or bad. Now, keep listening. Uh, I would say that for any politician. It's not me defending Trump. Not at all. I'm the farthest thing from a Trump supporter. Because he's an awful human being. Keep in mind that I, he, I think they think he's a horrible person. But I just want to be fair here. Because when, for example, a lefty supporter of Bernie Sanders went to a congressional Republican baseball practice and shot people, I didn't think it'd be fair to blame Bernie Sanders for that. Or for Republicans to blame Bernie Sanders. Now, it's very different circumstances when these people are attacking the government specifically because Trump had rhetoric that would uh, not suggest directly that they would do that, but definitely an anti-events uh, anti of the day propaganda from Donald Trump. Yeah, it would make sense that they would do something like this. But all the violence, like, I, I, I think violence, uh, threats to violence, speech, speech that calls on violence, or speech that motivates violence, can really, for the most part, only be considered speech that specific, like, that, that can only be considered when speech specifically calls on violence towards someone. If Donald Trump said, go storm the Capitol... 100%, he would be 100% responsible for all of this. But he's 99% responsible because he cannot control the actions of his individual supporters, whether that is good or bad. So just remember that. And rem I, I want you to remember me saying that specifically and hold me accountable to it, too. Like, I want to make sure I'm fair for to Democrats and Republicans because this, unfortunately, violence happens and violence of any kind is horrible. Uh, but I do want to make sure I'm fair and I don't want to assign too much blame to one person. Although within this particular case, I mean, it's 99.9999999% Trump. But I just want to be fair. That, that's all. That's the, that's the only point I'm trying to make. Uh, so that's sort of the entire thing. It's really going to be interesting what, what happens going forward here. Uh, I want to see really what happens with Biden. I want to see the how how will the inauguration plays out. We'll have live coverage here, and a recap of everything that uh, that goes on. But it's just we're at such a weird point in America. These are sort of things that you hear about in history books. You hear about in other countries, uh, but now it's happening now. <laughs> it's happening now in the middle of uh, of protests for racial division, for police brutality, for in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, in the middle of an election dispute. The United States Capitol is attacked by domestic terrorists and the president indirectly supports them. I mean, really insane. Really, really nutty. And uh, I hope it, I hope it, this is the end. I, I really do. I hope Trump never runs again. I hope he gets shoved into a closet by everyone, include not only Republicans, because he's not going to, like seriously, in five weeks, no one's going to call him. Not one person's going to talk to him. People say, oh, well, they, people need him for money. He's not going to have any money. He's done. I don't know if that's actually true. He may have money saved up somewhere. I mean, he may be get a get out of jail free card, literally and figuratively. Uh, <laughs> 
because of uh, all the, you know, because he was president. But at the same time, no one's going to want to loan him much needed money. No banker's going to want him to loan him money. I mean, the guy's an anti-American, an anti-democracy. Who would want to loan someone money with that reputation? He is going out of there with no friends, to put it very lightly, both in the, in Congress or not in Congress. You know, like, I, I always thought, if I was president and I was leaving, maybe, you know, it'd be sort of relaxing to be the former president because you can, uh, you, you can go and see people, you can walk through the halls, everyone respects you, you are known to, you, you don't have any responsibility in the present, but people may admire you for what you did in the past. You get secret service protection, you get the whole deal, you're treated almost like a president, but you don't have the responsibilities of a president. And that's true for pretty much every single former president that, that's alive right now, and that's probably been alive in, the his, alive in the history of this country. But this is a dark stain on America, what happened today, and it's a dark stain on the Republican Party. I mean, Lincoln must be rolling in his grave at this. The best president in the history of the country. A Republican. And of course, the Republican Party has shifted dramatically in terms of ideology over the course of Lincoln's time. But this is really insane. And I'm sure, you know, if Lincoln rose from the grave and stopped Trump, man, I would love to see that. But again, you know, Trump probably thinks he's he's superior to Lincoln. He's superior to every single human being on the planet. In fact, I, I just that reminded me of a speech that he made, where he I think he said something similar to like uh, I'm better than Jesus Christ or something like that, or maybe he's there's he's better than everyone's, but not except for Jesus Christ. I think he said that, and I think he truly believes that. Oh no, it was that he was more he's more famous than Jesus Christ. So I gotta find this. That's the reason I'm stalling right now is because I gotta find music to close out this segment with, and then we'll come back and talk about the rhinos and dinos of Congress. Uh, but they, this is a clip from CBS 17 where Trump said that uh, Jesus Christ is more famous than him. I seriously think he believes this, and I seriously think that this is why uh, his spoiled bratism and egocentrism is so, 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 so on fire. Masks, no masks, everything, you can do all you want, but you know, you still need help from the boss. We need help from the boss. He pointed to the sky, referring God. Yeah, we need help, it's all right to say. Now, they'll criticize me for that. How dare he say that? How dare he say that? No, I'll say it. I'll say it. I'll say it. Somebody said to me the other day, you're the most famous person in the world by far. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. They said, yes, you are. I said, no. They said, who's more famous? I said, Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. The only the only person more famous than Donald Trump is Jesus Christ. Are you kidding? The only, the only person more noteworthy than Donald Trump? I'm not going to have an argument. Hey, I'm not having any arguments. Jesus Christ. I'm not going to take any chances. I'll give it, I guarantee. And let me look up and I'll say, and it's not even close. Not even close, right. He's just saying that jokingly, like as if he would actually argue that he's more famous than Jesus Christ. I mean, really, 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 really insane. I know he's joking. I know it's, but I seriously think that to some degree, that sort of 
philosophy of egocentrism informs what he does every day and the way he views himself, his self-image. Coming up, we're going to talk about the liars and the hypocrites, Trump and Cruz, both in that order and both interchangeable terms these days between those two. You're listening to the J.D. Podcast on the J.D. Media Network. Thank you. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Jade Rorty Podcast on the JD Media Network, Wednesday, January 6th, 2021, 11.27 p.m. as we come back. Thank you very much for being here. A liar and a hypocrite. That's what it says in my show notes that I wrote. Trump and Cruz. Right now, there's an odd divide happening in this country as a result of President Donald Trump's soon-to-come exit, inevitably, and Joe Biden's future entrance Sorry, into the Oval Office. And that divide is not across Democrats and Republicans, but it is between Democrats and what I deem dinos, and also between Republicans and what President Trump deems rhinos. What do I mean by this? Well, first, let me provide some context. Uh, There is an article written in the Texas Tribune, which reads that continuing to pursue unsubstantiated claims of widespread voter fraud, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz and some of his fellow GOP senators announced that they would vote to reject the certification of electoral college votes. Again, that certification was scheduled to take place today until violent mobsters and terrorists, all supporting Trump, uh, overthrew it. In a joint statement released Saturday, Cruz and other senators cited unprecedented allegations of voter fraud, violations, and lax enforcement of election law. Now, you see that wording there, unprecedented allegations. I can allege anything on anyone. <laughs> you, can, you can get, I mean, you can pay people to allege things. You can just tell people to allege things because it strikes at their emotions or they don't want things to happen. So they'll, they'll allege things baselessly. It's sort of human nature. But just saying that you're going to go after things because there's allegations of them, no evidence? Unprecedented allegations of voter fraud violations and lax enforcement. I could accuse anyone and anyone could accuse me of doing literally anything. I could accuse Ted Cruz of murdering someone. I don't have any evidence of that, so I couldn't prove it in court. And I certainly wouldn't get a bunch of senators behind me to support that. But that's essentially what he's doing. He's he's forming a committee based on absolute lack of evidence for his own personal political gain. And allying with a con man. Uh, so I think Ted Cruz has has won the biggest hypocrite award of 2020 and maybe 2021 considering that while running against Trump in 2016, he said, quote, what Donald, done, what Donald does when he loses is he blames everybody else. It's never Donald's fault. That is the quote from Ted Cruz, the guy who's now leading the committee, or the, yeah, the congressional uh, joint uh, group of people that are resisting the uh, certification of Joe Biden. It's never Donald's fault because when he loses, he blames everybody else. Those are two direct quotes from Ted Cruz. Uh, I dug up some audio back on uh, April 6, 2016, when Cruz said this about Trump. He gets very angry. 
when the voters reject him. <laughs> 2016, April 6th, he said that. That aged well, right? Now he's the head of the group that is pro-Trump in an election where voting happened, and he said this in 2016. He gets very angry when the voters reject him. I mean, seriously, does the hypocrisy ever end? Actually, I'm getting a jingle. Stay tuned for that. Hypocrisy never ends jingle coming soon on the Jade Rory podcast. Uh, no one can forget that infamous exchange between the top two Republican rivals in the 2016 debate. Here's Ted Cruz. I disagree with him on that. That's a matter you of principle. You are the and single I'll, and I'll biggest you. liar. You probably are worse than Jeb Bush. You are the single biggest liar. All right. This guy lied. Let me just tell you. This guy lied about Ben Carson when he took votes away from Ben Carson in Iowa. And he just continues. This guy will say anything. Nasty guy. Now I know why he doesn't have one endorsement from any right. of his colleagues. All right, right. John, I, I get Cruz to respond. Senator pick from the buffet there. He's a yeah. nasty guy. Uh, okay, so the nasty guy, the nasty guy that's that's now running your, you know, pro-Trump uh, campaign in the U.S. Senate, uh, an increasingly weak campaign that's being condemned by Republicans and Democrats alike. Nasty guy, right? The guy who's trying to save you. Uh, nutty. Has this weird pattern. When you point to his own record, hey, let he me screams, uh, skip that back. When you point to his own record, he screams liar, liar, liar. If you want to go, where did I support watch, it? Where did I support it? Go hey, Ted, watch, where did I support it? If you want to go and watch the video, go to our website, hey, Ted, tedcruz.org. Where did you can I support it, it, Ted? Out no, of Donald's own mouth. I don't know what they're talking about there. They're talking about him supporting some issue. But Trump just keeps saying, where did I support it? Where did I support it? Where did I support it? And Ted Cruz literally gives them a link to go to if you want to see the video of him telling them that he's supporting whatever issue they're talking about. I mean, it's just nutty. This was this was in just a pattern of continuous uh, insults between each of them. There was, of course, later on that uh, time that Trump literally bullied Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz on the CNN debate stage, and then they proceeded to collectively yell at Wolf Blitzer. Senator Cruz, I know politicians. I know politicians. Believe it or not, better than you do, and it's not good. Oh, I believe it. No, no, I believe you know politicians much better than I do because for forty years you've been funding liberal Democratic politicians. And by the way, I funded you. The the reason you're welcome to have the check. I funded this because let's be clear. Yeah, you gave gave me five thousand dollars. Never funded me. And and by the way, let's be clear. (laughs) Donald claims. Donald claims to care you know why? I about him. Don- he sent me Donald, his book Donald, with his autograph. Donald, I understand rules Mr. are very Trump, hard for you. They're very confusing. Job. I have his book. Okay, yeah, that's that, 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 a TV show, not in thank, thank you, thank you for the book, Donald. Thank you. Okay, this is just nutty, right? Do you remember this 2016 debates? Ted Cruz saying, uh, "I guess rules are hard for you to follow," saying that he can't accept election election results, saying that. He bl- when he loses, he blames everybody else, saying that it's never Donald's fault when he loses. Now he's the guy that's sincerely, supposedly, leading the uh, anti-Biden uh, election run in Congress, really, in the Senate. So let's finish that clip. For the book. D- D- Go ahead. D- D- Donald, you can get back on your bed. a lot of now. fun up here tonight, I have to tell you. Thank, thank you for the book. D- Don- I really Donald, Donald, relax. Okay, so here's the bullying. I'm having a lot of fun up here tonight, right? He, this is literally, this is characteristic of a childish bully. Go ahead, I'm relaxed. 
You're the basket case. Oh, Go ahead. Donald. Go ahead. Don't get nervous. Ooh. My, Go ahead. <laughs> my name I promise is, you, my Donald. There's nothing about I've you that, you. that I, makes I, anyone nervous. You're losing so bad. Nothing about you that makes anybody nervous. Ted Cruz, 2016. You don't know what's happening. Gentlemen, gentlemen. Wolf, I'm going to ask that my time not be deducted when you yell at you. Take control. Okay, now. The latest debate. Gentlemen, please. Hold on, I'm going to get my answer. He doesn't get to yell at you the whole time. I want to move on. These are the rules. Excuse me. Now they all bully Wolf Blitzer. interrupted the whole time. You've had a chance. Wolf, do I not get a response? Wolf, do I not get a response? Yeah, okay. So after inheriting a small loan of a million dollars from his father and then receiving tens of millions of dollars from him shortly after, uh, Trump uh, described retroactively his whole life has been about dealing with pressure in golf championships. It's not a joke. I sort of wish it was, but it's not a joke. Uh, This is in 2016. He talked about how he has to deal with pressure in golf championships and also managed to call Ted Cruz a basket case again in the same sentence or pair of sentences. This clip was from uh, February of 2016. Here it is. I think I deal with pressure well. I mean, I've won many club championships. You have to deal with pressure. You know, I deal with pressure. That's what I do. My whole life has been pressure, and I like pressure. I I really do like pressure. But um, I don't think Cruz deals well with pressure. I think he's a basket case. Okay, so uh, you deal well with pressure because you win club championships? Really? That's your idea of pressure? Really? And that's your idea of pressure, but you still call John. You don't think John McCain's a war hero? I mean, how nutty is this guy? And he's the president of the United States. One would think that these two guys who say who call each other basket cases and liars and hypocrites and all this stuff, you'd think they'd they'd sort of have mutual hatred for each other. They take every opportunity they could to destroy each other if they maintain power. But no. Nope, not at all. It turns out that the guy who called Trump, uh, the guy uh, who Trump called the single biggest liar and a basket case, is going to be his biggest Washington ally as he leaves the White House. The single biggest liar and a basket case comes out of the word Donald, uh, the the mouth of Donald Trump, and then Cruz becomes his number one ally. Now I know how Washington works. Political speeches don't last long and that sort of thing, but still. This is like abject hypocrisy. So Cruz forms this committee of radical Republicans and then criticizes the radical left simultaneously, quote-unquote radical left, for being too radical on policy. And I agree there is an unnecessary dose of radicalism that's consuming the the Democrats right now. Uh, But you, you know, what's more radical? Let's just put it this way. What's more radical? Disputing election results and then claiming you won even though you didn't? Or wanting health care for everyone. Uh, I think there are some legitimate conservatives out there that would say that uh, health care for everyone is more radical. But you look at countries in Europe. Now, I'm not saying I agree with this because I don't. But you look at countries in Europe, it's not so radical over there. It's a lot more complex than that. And I'm not saying that I'm pro-health care or pro-Medicare for all or whatever. I'm not. I talked about this extensively, why it would be bad uh, in episodes way back in the primary, the Democratic primaries. I think Pete Buttigieg's Medicare for all who wanted plan was best uh, for tons of reasons, most of which were just logical. But uh, Trump and these backboneless Republican supporters of him need to check themselves. They need to check themselves intensely. Trump believes the people who don't support him are actually the ones who need to check themselves, though. Not the people who do support him, not the minority that do support him, uh, 
But the people who do who do not support him need to check themselves because they're not being Republican enough. And in comes the term rhino. Rhino. That's the term that he's been using. Rhino. And rhino stands for Republican in name only. Uh, dino is also a term, Democrat in name only. It's not used as frequently because Trump likes to criticize people who he thinks are rhinos, you know, or don't support him, he thinks is rhino. If you haven't heard the term before, you know, of course, as I just said, it stands for Republican in name only. But that's that's not at all what it means actually in Trump land. If you translate, if you go to Google Translate or translate.google.com, and you type in, in the English acronym section of the translate, you type in rhino from English acronym to Trump buffoonery, and you click enter, you'll see that rhino means that uh, conservative who dislikes Trump's foolishness and wants accurate election results. Typically, rhino uh, rhinos by Trump's determination happen to be moderate conservatives in the Republican Party, or people with a brain, or both. Dino, in a similar fashion, means Democrat in name only, and that is a term that I suppose the progressive left would deem all moderates, and a term that all left moderates would deem the progressive left. It's interesting. By logic of the idea seen right now in the Republican Party that anti-Trumpers are anti-radical and pro-Trumpers are pro-radical, one would think that the super-progressives would be the majority establishment and the moderates would be the dinos. But that's not at all actually the case, in my opinion. At least as defined by the very moderate Democratic agenda... That Joe Biden will proudly remind you that the platform of the Democratic Party is what I, in fact, approved of what I approved of. So it's a Joe Biden agenda. It's a moderate agenda. Thankfully, I'm a big fan of centrism at the moment. And really, the point I'm trying to make with all this is that there is a growing divide that is happening a lot sooner than it has happened in the past within each party. And I wrote all this before the whole uh, election uh, overthrow of the Capitol had taken place. I'm talking about purely politically and legislatively, etc. Right now, the Democrats are absolutely split, split between the super progressives and the run-of-the-mill establishmenters, and there's a very minority, but perhaps presence within the moderate population that are sort of corporatists like Nancy Pelosi. But it seems like with the recent Pelosi vote, the progressives are sort of beginning to cave. They're beginning to cave to the moderate establishment. Maybe that's a short-term strategy that's actually a part of a longer-term strategy for the progressives. They're going to deal with her for two more years, you know, assuming they continue to be re-elected. Uh, but it's making their supporters angry. And the Republicans are splitting, like, they're making the, the progressive supporters angry. And the Republicans are splitting a lot earlier than I would have predicted over this Trump nonsense. You know, typically the exiting party leaves office pretty unified, historically speaking. Like, you know, when Barack Obama left, yeah, they were angry, but they were like, okay, we got to deal with this guy, Donald Trump. When George Bush left, the Republicans were like, okay, we have a new president, this is how it works. You know, this is a peaceful transfer of power. George Bush left, you know, with complete consent. He left at his will, he left voluntarily. And the Republicans accepted their new president. And the Republicans are not at all unified. They're, they're the opposite. And it's only going to get worse over the next four years, which is bad news for the country and bad news for voters on both sides. The most interesting phenomenon with Democrats and Republicans in modern political history, in my opinion, is that if a Republican is in the Oval Office, and this is not always true, but it's true at least in my experience with this election, 
Congressional Democrats will be, if a Republican is in the Oval Office, Congressional Democrats will be divided up and down completely. But if vice versa, if a Democrat is in the Oval Office, Congressional Republican will be divided up and down. It's the same thing. Uh, it's not always the case, but it certainly was this time around. But when you have an extraneous, weird, lying, lying loudmouth con man like Donald Trump twiddling his Twitter thumbs at the Resolute Desk, both parties become divided. Not just one, both. And that's where the term rhinos and dinos come in. Rhino is the perfect, it's self-evident that Trump has created division not only between Republicans and Democrats, but between pro-Trumpsters and Republicans. Two very different things. Not necessarily mutually exclusive, but very different things. Another thing that happened in other news, Nancy Pelosi's re-election. The most interesting phenomenon, as I talked about, is the whole, you know, this and that between, uh, the, the, the whole division between uh, Democrats and Republicans. But it's also weird to see that the leader of the Progressive People's Party, the Democrats, is worth $97 million, just got reelected, and married to a person with tens of millions of dollars in investments in the biggest corporations to ever exist in the history of humanity, in a party that dislikes corporations, certain members dislike capitalism, dislike free markets. You know, when you have people like that, where it's so divided within a party, on both sides, within parties, and among parties, it is, it is just inevitable that division exists. According to the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi was re-elected Speaker of the House on Sunday, but will face new challenges in what could be her final term as Speaker. She's 80 years old. She'll preside over the narrowest majority in two decades, with Democrats holding a 222-211 to 211 advantage over Republicans, with two seats yet to be filled and centrists and progressives pulling her party in different directions. The narrowness of Pelosi's victory Sunday could be a harbinger of the challenges she will face over the next two years. Pelosi defeated House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, who's going to run for president someday, Bakersfield 216 to 209. Two moderate Democrats voted for someone besides Pelosi. Two moderate Democrats, by the way, all the progressives caved, and only corporate Democrats voted for Pelosi, for did, did not vote for Pelosi. All members of the progressive group of legislators known as the Squad, according to the San Francisco Chronicle, backed Pelosi, even after its most prominent member, AOC, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, complained that National Democrats leading the party's congressional campaign strategy were out of tune with progressive voters. And they are out of tune with progressive voters. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's just true. Uh, progressive Jimmy Dore has been running a fascinated force the vote campaign, hashtag force the vote campaign, which essentially is all about uh, making sure that Democrats uh, withhold or progressive Democrats or theoretically all Democrats, but uh, it's really only appealing to progressive Democrats. They want them to withhold their vote to reelect Nancy Pelosi unless she brings Medicare for all to the floor of the House for a vote. Unfortunately for uh, Mr. Dore and his show, it did not succeed. Uh, or at least as of now, it has not succeeded for a multitude of reasons. Uh, reason one, Nancy Pelosi is an absolute corporate seller, along with Republicans and Democrats in the modern political establishment, other than Bernie Sanders. Reason two, many super progressives don't have a backbone inside closed doors. And it's just true, and it's sad for the people who support them. And again, I disagree with a lot of super progressives, including Bernie Sanders. You know, I was talking about this uh, the other day. 
uh, not on this podcast, but I, I disagree with Bernie Sanders on tons of stuff. Like, I, I disagree with a substantial proportion of his policy. And I'm saying that as a liberal, for the most part, but more, you know, I'm an independent. I do not at all a Democrat or a Republican. I don't self-identify, at least, as one. Um, and I, when I am old enough to register, I will not register as either. I'll be, I will register as an independent. Uh, but when you see Bernie Sanders being authentic, consistent, and honest, and reaching a level of fame that would allow him to not be, that is very, very admirable. He's not a sellout like Nancy Pelosi is, like Bill Clinton is, like Hillary Clinton is, like Barack Obama is becoming, like George, well, I guess George Bush wasn't really because, you know, he, he sort of took it easy. Same with Jimmy Carter, which I admire. I mean, uh, there are people who get to that level of fame and the money just blinds them so sharply that it just ruins the image that they have of themselves and it enriches them to a great extent. Bernie Sanders could have been done. He could have retired. He could have been gone by now, but he's been the same person that he's been since he emerged from the womb back in, you know, the dawn of time. And he's always going to be that way. And that's admirable. There's something to be said for that. Uh, Bernie Sanders is 100% an honest person in my experience covering him. Definitely the most honest candidate in the 2016 election and the 2020 election, other than maybe Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang. But in, but they're not, they're not as famous as him. Bernie Sanders is a very famous person, and he's not corrupted, at least as far as I know. He doesn't seem like a person that would be corrupt, and I, I support him uh, in that sense, although I would never vote for him ever. So why doesn't Speaker Pelosi like Medicare for All? That's really the big question. Sorry I got on that Bernie Sanders tangent. Not because it's a flawed policy that overspends, in my opinion, but because she is bought out by the, the corporations. corporations. There was a story, uh, there's a story talking about uh, how Nancy Pelosi, how uh, the headline is, Top Nancy Pelosi aide privately tells insurance executives not to worry about Democrats pushing for Medicare for All. Pelosi advisor Wendell Primus, according to Ryan Grimm of The Intercept, detailed five objections to Medicare for All and said that Democrats would be allies to the insurance industry in the fight against single-payer health care. Now, I'm not saying that I'm against insurance companies, but when the leader of the Democrats, the Democrats, same Democrats who are, you know, anti uh, certain members like Bernie Sanders and uh, some of the members of the squad, anti-big companies being involved in this sort of uh, the business of healthcare, when they're saying that they don't need to worry about that and we're allies with the insurance industry, which is profiting tons of money off of people, you know, the, the, the Democrat establishment is saying that they're allies with the profiteers in the insurance industry. Primus pitched the insurers on a, on supporting Democrats uh, on efforts to shrink drug prices, specifically by backing a number of measures that the pharmaceutical lobby is opposing. Uh, that's good. I'm all for that. I think uh, insurance, private insurance, is a good thing if if you have the opportunity through your work or if you voluntarily choose to neglect the government option. I think it's a good thing, 100. percent But to have the 
uh, leader of the so-called People's Party and <laughs> the Democrats, uh, you know, saying that we're allies with the insurance industry, while there's Bernie Sanders saying that he, that, you know, pharma, etc., and insurance companies go out there and make billions of dollars every year. I mean, Nancy, Bernie Sanders can't like Nancy Pelosi too much. Yet for some reason... Every single member of the Progressive Caucus, including the legit progressives, which is actually sort of a minority, voted for, for Pelosi. Like, people like Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar, uh, uh, Pramila Jayapal, who was in that Capitol video I was talking about. Every single person within the House Progressive Caucus uh, voted for Nancy Pelosi's re-election as Speaker of the House. Crazy. And really unexpected. Honestly, I seriously uh, would not have expected that. And, I mean, you go through the names in the House, the Congressional Progressive Caucus, which you can find at progressives.house.gov. The co-chairs of it, Mark Pocan and Pramila Jayapal. I don't know too much about uh, Mark Pocan, who's 2nd District of Wisconsin. I know Pramila Jayapal is a very, 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 very socially liberal person, very progressive in all respects. Ro Khanna, who's the first vice chair, 17th District of California, he's a legit progressive. But you look at some of these names, none of them stick out to me as particularly progressive. You see, Tulsi Gabbard is on this committee. She is not progressive. She is moderate. She's moderate by all measures. In fact, I thought... In the 2020 election, Democratic primaries, I thought that Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang were, without a doubt, the best candidates. Not Joe Biden. I mean, just looking back on it, I don't even know. I, I think I talked, I mean, I, I talked about my admiration for both of them. But Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, looking back on it, easy choices. Easy choices. But the, again... This is why I say not all media is left. They're corporate. They're not they're not left. They want to advance a corporate agenda. And the corporate agenda is the Hillary Clintons and the Nancy Pelosi's and the establishment Democrats. Uh, and, you know, the farther the right goes, they go more left because they do have to get ratings and they're trying to make profits. And really more of it is ratings driven. But second to the ratings drivenness, it's the corporate media buyout sort of thing. And I know that sounds like a very right thing to say. I'm not trying to, like, right as in politically right, uh, politically conservative, or political conspiratorial, that, you know, the corporate media, da, da, da. But no, the, the, the media or corporations are bought out by corporations, and a lot of prominent politicians are bought out, bought out by corporations. The Senate member is Bernie Sanders of this committee. He's a legit progressive. Of course, he can't vote on the, her re-election because he's a senator. But Rashida Tlaib, a true progressive... Voted for Nancy Pelosi's re-election, and she is a pro-capitalist. Nancy Pelosi's a pro-capitalist. And definitionally, the socialists voted for her. The, the people who, or the, the self-proclaimed socialists voted for uh, for Nancy Pelosi's re-election. She's not a socialist. She's just not a, she's a capitalist. Nancy Pelosi is. I mean, how I seriously, how can you call yourself progressive or at least be in the modern Democrats of progressives and vote for Nancy Pelosi? I simply don't understand. There must have been some sort of deal made uh, in secrecy or not between the Progressive Caucus and uh, the re-election of Nancy Pelosi. I'm not I'm not super anti-Nancy uh, Pelosi, by the way. I don't think, you know, I, I think she's sort of 
past her uh, date to, you know, be serving in Congress. I think she's a perfect example, along with Jerry Nadler and Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham, of why we need term limits in the Senate. But I don't have anything particularly against her, other than she's a corporate sellout, but that's sort of expected in the majority of Washington. Uh, You know, so I'd be fine with her as another speaker. I'm just saying, why are these people not straight? I'd really love to know. I think there's probably a concrete answer. We're just not seeing it because... Uh, there's done, you know, in secret. Maybe it was Joe Biden who wanted Nancy Pelosi as speaker. They know each other. I mean, I, I think probably for the efficiency of the party and showing unity, it makes sense to vote for Pelosi. But on policy, if you want to make a statement, you want to show the voters in your town, in your district, that you align with them, and you go along and you call for new leadership. Literally, Nancy, AOC, who's one of the prominent members of the uh, of, of the uh, squad, the founder, the leader of the squad, supposedly, said that we need new leadership in the Democrat Party. Well, what happens when the time comes to vote on the leadership? Nope, she votes for Nancy Pelosi again. Uh, and, you know, you look at these members, they really get a kick out of this. Jerry Nadler, mm, does he come to mind as a progressive? No, no, he's on the committee. So is Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, and by the same token, or by the opposite token, you see Ayanna Presley uh, on there, who's very progressive. But you also see people um, like uh, Ted Liu, who I think is probably is sort of he's pretty progressive. But you see Joe Kennedy the third on there. Uh, he's he's sort of progressive, but more moderate than a lot of the counterparts who are farther left than him. Uh, you see a lot of different people on there. It's a broad. It's like a hundred people on there. And even the legit progressives on there, what I like to deem legit progressives, which are probably 10 ones that come to mind, Ro Khanna, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, AOC, etc., they all voted for Pelosi. It's actually a big fight on Twitter between AOC, the squad, and the Force the Vote movement. Force the Vote movement essentially, uh, as I said before, states that, that uh, Nancy Pelosi... Uh, that the people should withhold their vote for Nancy Pelosi unless she brings Medicare for all to the floor for the house for the the house to vote on it, uh, and there's a big Twitter fight between a, the people who are uh, pushing this movement, who want to challenge AOC's legitimacy and see if she'll withhold her vote for Nancy Pelosi if she'll bring this to the if she'll bring the uh, the bill to the floor. And uh, what they, they ended up deeming her a member of the fraud squad because the super progressives, like Jimmy Dore, thought that the House super progressives weren't progressive enough. And they were not progressive enough. They're not living up to their campaign promises, and that's just a fact. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing because I do disagree with the concept of Medicare for All uh, in America. But they're not living up to their campaign promises, and all these people who are out there with the uh, Force the Vote movement, are, are I admire them. A hundred percent. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, look at the money. (laughs) Look at the money and follow the money. Nancy Pelosi, her husband, Paul Pelosi, owns and operates Financial Leaving Services, a California real estate and venture capital investment firm. Venture capital investment firm. You have a party whose fellow members are socialists. You're the head of the party who, or certain members won't, dislike free markets and your husband owns 46.5 million dollars in real estate and various blue chip stock holdings companies like apple facebook and disney and you have a net worth of 97 million dollars and you're the leader of that party 
Again, the hypocrisy never ends. Apple stock, uh, according to Financial Samurai, which has an entire thing, is owned, uh, entire breakdown of her wealth is uh, uh, on there. It's owned by Nancy Pelosi. She lives in the one percent, the point, the point one percent, and uh, they go, they go through exactly where her money is, how it's located, and uh, what exactly she has. We're really long on this episode, and there's still a lot more to talk about. But uh, basically, I'm going to go breeze through two things. First, number one, Mitch McConnell's stimulus refusal. Believe it or not, it hasn't been talked about in this episode or in this podcast yet. Uh, a perfect and unrelated example of all of the division, though, is the Mitch McConnell stimulus thing. So that's why I'm going to talk about it right now. I talked for a long time last episode about the divisions of each party, uh, but I think the most recent development within all of this seems to be the waiting game between Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell right now. $600 versus $2,000. That's the, that's the big debate. Democrats and the president want or wanted, you know, if there's a country to exist after the pro-Trumpsters overthrow it, the non-rat, they want 2000 Democrats and president want 2000 Non-radical Republicans, and I say non-radical by the terms as I define them above, want 600 You know, when I say non-radical, I'm talking about the rhinos by Trump's terms. And uh, that's where we are. Uh, and that's where we'll likely be unless a Biden administration comes in and introduces new stimuluses, which is what will likely happen. I think he's going to throw a lot of money at the economy. My recommendation to Biden, reopen the economy and throw money at it. Do the best of both things. That's the best of both liberal and conservative ideology. I think it, it, it's sort of like turning on the car, trying to get it to start, and then also throwing gas and oil and things that make cars go at it. You can't open an economy and then not support it, but you also can't waste money on a country that's not able to work. And when I'm talking about work, I'm talking about the workforce, the working class going to work. Throwing money at things doesn't solve problems in the long term, though. And uh, hopefully in a Biden administration, we'll see some balance stricken between liberal and conservative ideology. Hopefully conservative economic ideology will be uh, sort of at the basis, and then liberal will sort of subsidize that because... You need a balance, and you need regulation. Uh, because legislatively and governmentally right now, Trump is checked out. He's completely checked out. He, he is concerned, as it's been since day one, not to govern. Not to govern at all. And it's sad what it's come to, but that's that's what, I mean, he, he's checked out of doing the job, doing the work of a president. Uh, I guess that's a perfect segue to the second topic I want to talk about, or the final topic today. Trump's phone call with the Georgia Secretary of State. It was horrible. It was a horrible thing, and it's another example of the democracy uh, being questioned. It's being over-dramatized by certain Democrats and Republicans who are not seeing the bigger picture here, though. Trump is a crook. People know that. And that's why he has dozens of open investigations into him, thousands of lawsuits, dozens of abuse allegations, and so many other people after him. One call where he says some ridiculous nonsense that he's been pushing in his base for months isn't going to change that, especially if the person recognizes that it's nonsense that he's on the phone with. All of that does prove, though, that deep down, Donald's temperament is that of a child. You listen to the call, and I'm not going to play it just for the sake of time. Uh, it's an hour minute. It's an hour long, but the highlight is about four minutes, so I have the link at the website, j-story.com slash 142. And you see that Trump literally talks like a child on the phone call. I mean, I literally, 
I, it's nutty. And I think we'll push it off along with the Georgia topic uh, to next episode because we're an hour and 23 minutes into this one. But I do want to thank you very much for listening to this episode. Uh, I want to encourage you, please, please, please. And by the way, I didn't mention this. All the people, at least that I saw, or at least 90% plus, uh, the people who were storming the Capitol today, didn't have masks on. Please wear a mask. Please be safe. And please hope that the vaccine works and the vaccine gets here quickly. Audio clips for this episode were from ABC News, Fox News, CBS News, and other trusted sources of the JD Media Network, including Twitter and others. Complete letter, credit and link to hear the full song can be found at j-dorty.com slash 142. The phone number for this podcast is 312-625-8492. Potential corrections or updates are at j-dorty.com. You can receive emails and newsletter updates at j-dorty.com slash newsletter. Read and listen to show notes and episode highlights at j-dorty.com. Clips and highlights at thedortyfiles.com. This has been a JD Media Network production. Thank you so much for listening to this very long episode. The J. Doherty Podcast streams exclusively on the JD Media Network. Commercial-free quality audio 24-7. The J. Doherty Podcast, a JD Media Network production. Copyright J. Doherty 2020. Thanks for listening. A world of information. Explain. The JD Media.